Let's get right into it this morning. I want to talk to you on the subject of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Of all of the scripture surrounding the Christmas story, probably none is more well known than the story of the shepherds. And we have that, uh, we have that reality today. Uh, we can thank Charles Schultz 50 years ago, right? And Linus standing center stage and saying, I can help you, Charlie Brown. For there were in that same field shepherds watching over their flock by night. The glory of the Lord appeared before them, shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Right? And then the angel said this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings, or glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And, and this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly, suddenly a great company, the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. God, that is our prayer that that could be said about us, that your favor rests. Let that be true for each and every one of us. God, we commit this to you in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I, I, I believe that it was a spectacular sight when the angel appeared before the shepherds. I believe that it was a magnificent occurrence when a multitude of heavenly hosts appeared and said, glory to God in the highest. Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. What's interesting to me is where it took place. Not in Jerusalem, a town of over 90,000 people, not some six miles away in Bethlehem, a, a sleepy village of maybe a thousand. But this angelic multitude appeared in the audience. Some shepherds. Some shepherds. You would think something this spectacular deserved a much grander audience. After all, it's, it's one of the hallmarks of Christmas, isn't it? Christmas. Man, Christmas is complicated. It wasn't so complicated when we were children. Do you remember the magic of Christmas as a child? Right? That expectation, the enjoyment, the joy. My, my childhood journey was interesting. The, the first seven years of my life, I, I lived in a home that, um, I, I wouldn't say that we were wealthy, but we were at the very least financially comfortable. And so the... The, the, the presents overwhelmed the tree, especially there were eight children living at home when I was a child, and, and we had a total of 13 children in the family, and then extended family came to our house for Christmas, and so the living room was just packed with presents, and there was always this anticipation, and, and there was something of profound um, excitement about that as a child. With the, with the death of my father, my, my family took a, it took a, a sharp 
turn. And we went from living in a, an upscale neighborhood and, and, and doing well to, to living in the ghetto and, and, and facing significant poverty, some significant issues. And yet, even though there weren't nearly as many toys under the tree, even though there weren't as many presents, it, it didn't seem to take away from the joy and the wonder and the, if it's okay to use this term in a church sanctuary on Sunday morning, the, the magic of Christmas. But as I got older, this magic of Christmas and the simplicity of Christmas was, was replaced by man, the complications of Christmas. Purchasing presents, fighting for parking spaces, navigating people. Then marriage, oh my goodness, marriage, because now you've got another family to deal with, right? And if there's divorce, then you've got multiple families. And let me just say this, there's not, a, there's not a functional family on the planet. Everyone's normal until you get to know them. We all have at least one crazy uncle, and some of us have more than our quota. And just as you deal with all this, you go, wow. But the story, the story of Christmas is a very simple story. And there's a reason why. When the babe was born in a manger, that the announcement was made not to the royalty of the region, but to those whom would be considered common, not even common, those who would be considered unclean, the simplest of the simple. It's because if if we have an understanding of of who God is, it would only stand to reason that that's who he would make the birth announcement to. God presented the birth of his son to those who would be considered lowly, humble. Why? Because of the characteristics of the words that you could use to describe God, right up at the top of the list would be this, humble. That shouldn't surprise us because we we see this. We see the reality of this being a, a character trait of God. We see it woven throughout the history of man. We also see it clearly recorded in Scripture. We, we know this, that in, in Exodus 30, it, it, it talks about a God who is humble. In Exodus 34, it talks about our Lord who is slow to anger. It tells us that he's, he's not a, a volatile, ego, egotistical God. In Zechariah 9, when it pro- prophesies about the Messiah, it says that he will come and he will be gentle or humble, riding on a, a donkey. Jesus says this about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. In Matthew 11, he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burden. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, connect with me and learn from me. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm humble. Jesus used that exact word to describe himself. For I am humble. I am gentle and humble in heart. We look at the, the people in the Christmas story, 
here's what we'll find over and over again. Humility, 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 humility. Mary, be it unto me according to your word. Joseph, being a gentle man, and thinking about putting away Mary privately when she heard that he that she was when he heard that she was with child after having a vision from an angel said no I'll take her as my wife regardless of what people say he wasn't concerned about his own reputation Zechariah Elizabeth the wise men when they came and they saw the Christ child they bowed and they worshiped him. There are some Sundays when you come into church and you wonder, is pastor preaching at me? The answer this morning is absolutely yes. Make no mistake. Is he getting into my business? Oh, yes. Is he meddling? Certainly. Because I'm convinced that this is a very important message for this season. I believe that it is a prophetic word for you. This issue of humility, it's important that we understand it. And let me tell you why, because pride, you'll find this recorded over and over again in Scripture. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace. Grace to the humble. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. This issue of humility, it, it, it's, it's important to God. And it's demonstrated in all that God is. That what we learn from the very beginning, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. And when God created, let me tell you, the creation story would not make for a very good Hollywood movie because here's what God did. He spoke and it was. 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 Our God has never been a God of grand acts. Oh, what he does, the result is spectacular. But the act, very simple. The introduction of, of who Jesus is. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Going over to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God has always demonstrated this characteristic of humility. And understand this, friend. You were designed, you were created in God's image, in his likeness. And not only are we supposed to represent him physically, but we're also supposed to, also supposed to represent him in the context of our character. And our God is not an arrogant God. He's a humble God. Now, I don't want you to be confused. Humility is not inadequacy. Humility is also not insecurity. Humility is operating in meekness, which is power under control. Blessed are the meek, not timid, meek. 
And yet we get sidetracked by this issue of pride. Pride. Pride is the gateway sin. Pride is the sin that feeds so many and gives birth to so much other sin in our life. And pride is not just the gateway sin. It is a universal sin. We all deal with it. I deal with it. And sir, ma'am, you deal with it. I, I don't have a pride issue. Thank you for demonstrating my point. Every last one of us deal with it. Understand this. Pride is what caused Satan to be banished from heaven. Pride is what gave birth to the scheme of the question in the Garden of Eden. Pride is what gave birth to sin, and it's what feeds sin today. And it is what debilitates the church. Because we operate in so much pride. And if we could get a a handle on this, Oh, the world would be so much different. So God in the two greatest acts in all of history Emmanuel, God with us. The babe born in the manger. It could not have been more common. It could not have been more humble. And in Jesus' death on the cross, a commoner's execution, it could not have been more humble. It could not have been more simplistic. So in God coming and dwelling among us in physical form and in God paying the ultimate price for the redemption of my sin and your sin, he demonstrates it in such incredible acts of humility. To push back against the power and the pull of pride. I believe it's an important component of the Christmas story. And I'm so grateful that God demonstrated this humility even there out in the fields when he revealed the birth of his son to the most common of the common. I believe this. I believe this issue of humility is something that we must understand and must grasp today. I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I I love the fact that Peter writes about this. I also love the fact that James writes about this. And both Peter and James quote Proverbs 3, Proverbs 3.34, which says that God opposes the proud, that he opposes the proud, that he opposes the proud. Well, I, I'm, not a, 
I'm not a proud person because I'm a Christian. I, I'm not a proud person because I'm a, I'm a follower of God. I've, I've grown up in the church. I've dealt with that sin issue, and I dealt with that pride issue a long time ago. I love the story that Jesus tells in Luke's gospel. When he tells a story, the, 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 story, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he tells us in, in, in Luke 18, he says this, that to, to, to those who were confident in their own righteousness, those who look down on everyone else, he said this, two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed, and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. The robbers, the thieves, I'm thankful that I'm not like that tax collector. On the other hand, the tax collector could not even raise his eyes towards heaven, Jesus said. He just stood there, and he he beat his chest, and he said, Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, the tax collector is the one who left justified that day. Because whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Peter echoes this in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he says this. You see, in the second half of of, of verse number 5 of 1 Peter 5, he says, all of you, all of you, say that with me, all of you. Say it again, all of you. Now, who does that include? All of you. Very good. See, we're quick. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, here's what I want you to, to, to notice. Casting our cares upon God is an act of humility. Trusting in him to show up in our day is an act of humility. I'm not going to try to do it on my own. God, I'm going to trust in you. The devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I love the fact that God talks about through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and Peter's writing through the word of God, God tells us this. He puts the handiwork of Satan and the issue of pride in the same context. He says, listen, I want you to operate in humility. Why? Because the devil is going about trying to find people that he can capture people that he can enslave. And how does he do it? The number one day, number one way he seems to do it is with this issue of pride. Turning my focus away from God and turning my focus on me. Me, 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 me. And so this issue of living in victory, we will find at the nexus of victory 
a disposition of humility. And we, we have to grasp this. We have to get this. Let, let me show you this. I want to give you four things quickly. Because then I want to bring you to the altar. And, and then I want to get you on your way. Because I believe this. I believe that Calvary this morning is going to overwhelm Nathaniel's toy shop with visitors. And helpers and volunteers. I'm going to give you four thoughts this morning real quickly on this issue of humility. Number one, humility needs to grace our identity. I love the fact that it says all of you clothe yourselves with humility. When people see us, when they're around us, here's what they should recognize. That we are not people who are focused on us. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. Pride goes before a what? Say it again. Pride goes before a what? Why is it then that so many people who profess to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ allow pride to be their calling card? Why is it that so many churches, let me go from preaching to meddling, why is it that so many churches get caught up in this issue of pride? It's all about us. It's all about identity. It's all about me. God help us. Let humility Let it grace your identity. All of you clothe yourself with humility. See, this, this lies behind what Paul was thinking when he tells the Romans, for by the grace of God given to me, I encourage you, I challenge you, I say to everyone among you that you not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment. And this issue of humility, it should filter into our relationships. He says this, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Recognizing the value in one another. Putting aside this, this penchant for competitivism. It's unhealthy, it's ungodly, it's not right. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Let, let humility grace your identity. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Let it impact or guard your relationships. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let, let humility, let it be the filter through which every thought flows. Let it gauge your thoughts. Humility should be the thing that, that guides our way. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The poisonous power of pride. I've heard people say this many times. If I were God... If I were God, if I were God, I would have done it a lot differently. I find great comfort in knowing that God did it perfectly. And 
everything that he does, he demonstrates his character and he demonstrates his heart. This issue of pride, I, 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 could, I could preach a 10-week series on this issue of pride. And at some point in, in the future, I, I, I may. But you know what I love about the work of God? Is that the Holy Spirit can do a work in you in a moment that would take a counselor or a pastor years, sometimes a lifetime. So I want to tell you three things. You have a pride issue. Some of you, it's about your accomplishments. Some of you, it's about your family. Some of you, it's your cultural heritage. Some of you, it's about your glorious failures. Some of you, it's about your religious pedigree. And the list goes on and on and on. I want to let you in on a little secret. If you look at those whom God has used throughout history, he always calls them, blesses them, and then breaks this issue of pride and then is able to use them. And I'm convinced of this, that on an individual basis, on a personal basis, that God brought you here this morning to speak to you about your pride issue. I believe on a collective basis that God wants to speak to a church and say this, that you have to deal with your pride issue. Because he opposes the proud. Have you, have you been having a difficult time pressing in with God? Have you been praying and, man, it seems like your, your prayers are just bouncing off the floor of heaven? Have you felt disconnected? Have you been struggling to find victory? Is it possible? Is it at least possible that there's a pride issue that you've left unresolved and, and because of that what's written in Proverbs 3 what's written in James what's written in 1 Peter that that scripture is bearing fruit in your life that God opposes the proud I've got good news for you the very next sentence says this he gives grace grace to the humble and that's why he's brought us here today. That's why he's brought you here today. Pride is a sin. It's a universal sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.